So this uh, is the third message in a Lenten series with, um, well, just in the Lenten series. We're going through a very familiar section of scripture. Sorry, I have a little bit of uh, a tickle thing going on there, but I assure you, I feel better than I have in weeks. I sound better than I have in days, but for whatever reason, I've been coughing since I got to church, so obviously it's the church's fault. I'm just kidding, but I have, uh, for whatever reason, have been coughing up here, so hopefully it's just what it is, just, uh, just a little coughing. I have a delightful variety of cough drops, and maybe that's the problem, is I think I'm on my third flavor in the last 20 minutes. But that's okay. Anyway, um, we're in a very familiar section of Scripture with the uh, Good Samaritan. Um, Has anyone in here not heard a sermon out of the Good Samaritan passages before? Has anyone heard less than six messages from the Good Samaritan passage? Okay, anyone heard less than a dozen? Here we go. You see what I mean? You guys know this story, frontwards and backwards. And that's probably why it's so important that we look at it again. Because if I ask all of you, what is the moral of the story? What am I going to hear? Am I going to hear the moral of the story is show mercy? Is the moral of the story don't judge a book by its cover? Is the moral of the story, don't judge people? Is the moral of the story, what is the moral of the story? That priests and Levites are evil? What is the moral of the story? We have a lot of takeaways from this story because it's a very rich story. There's a lot going on here. And it's not an accident that I had Chad start reading where I did. Um, Even if I was not obsessed with the Shema, which I am, It starts with the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? But a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, I'm sorry, an expert in the law asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this question. Jesus models something very beautiful that we don't do enough. You see this old rabbinical question, What is written in the law? How do you read it? I love that question. That might be the most Mennonite question in the entire Bible. How do you read it? And the guy, of course, goes straight to the Shema because he's a good Jew. He's a good religious person. He goes straight to the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. With all your mind And this because it was translated from Greek, I believe, and not... Hebrew, um, same scripture. That's basically the first four commandments in a phrase. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he goes to the part that makes him somewhat unique within culture. There were groups of people that would have said, the second thing past that, that was the first important thing that everyone would answer is love the Lord your God. And then some people might say, 
and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Or someone might say, uh, do not murder. Or someone might say something else. But this gentleman jumps to Leviticus and says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Because that sums up the other six commandments. You have the whole Ten Commandments right in those two commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the last commandments. Last six. A loose summary, of course. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do that and you will live. And then he asks the question that we have been talking about for 2,000 years. Who's my neighbor? Well, who do I have to love? Who's my neighbor? To which many people in the culture of that time, it would have said, he would have said, Jewish people. Jewish people are your neighbors. Or these people are your neighbors, but not those Samaritans. They're filthy. Right? These are your neighbors. And have you ever noticed that Christians ask ourselves those kind of questions as well? Who is our neighbor? Who do we help? Who do we love? Who is worthy of our assistance? And it's that last question that's causing my heart so much pain lately. Is who is worthy of forgiveness? I see good and good. Yeah, there's a loaded phrase. I see well-meaning, Jesus-loving, and I mean that honestly. They love Jesus so much. People reject other people. And it hurts. Am I immune to that? No. Why does it hurt so much? Maybe because I've done it too. But it hurts. And it should hurt. And I'm sure it breaks the heart of the Father. So in this parable that Jesus tells, a man is walking on the road to Jericho. And I had a teacher uh, that I heard say something that made the story hilarious. Is this section of road that Jesus is talking about, the road to Jericho, is about as wide as our steps. It is not a highway. It's a path. It's smaller than the aisleway to our church. It's more like the side aisleways. So a man is beaten and laying on the side of the road. If the guy's laying on the baseboard heating system over here and you're walking along the side of the pews, when Jesus describes a guy going to the other side of the road, that becomes funny. That's ridiculous. He's walking like this, like around the person, flattened against the wall or whatever, going into the bushes, walking around them. He walked to the other side of the road. Something else that I always misunderstood about this. In my head, because this is a priest, a priest can't handle someone who's going to die. He'll become ceremonially unclean. A Levite can't touch anyone that's about to die. He will become ceremonially unclean. Is that a big deal? Yes and no. Being unclean ceremonially isn't the same as being unclean like you have leprosy. It means that you are mildly or moderately, really, you are moderately inconvenienced for a period of time. 
you can't do your temple duties. You can't do your religious duties. You have to go through the awkwardness of saying, hey, someone's got to cover down. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I touched a guy that might die. Or if he does die, I suppose if he lives, no harm, no foul. But the guy's beaten and left there. He could die. That means the priest wouldn't be able to do his duty at the temple. That means the Levite wouldn't be able to do his duty at the temple. They're putting their religious practice ahead of mercy and humanity. We do that too. Because we don't want to become whatever the Christian equivalent is of ceremonially unclean. Which I think the closest thing we have is we're worried what we're going to look like to others. And that actually becomes the problem with praying that everyone comes to Jesus. You don't think that's a problematic situation, but it is. If you're praying that everyone comes to Jesus, there is but one way to the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. But it's going to look differently than it does in your head almost every single time. It's going to look differently than you want it to. And what if that person shows up, whoever that person is to you? What if that person shows up having turned to Jesus with all their scars and their ugly tattoos and their bad habits and their filthy language and their wrecked life and their dumpster fire of ideas, turns to Jesus, turns and faces Jesus and says that he is the answer. Because we've even told them He is the answer. And they come to faith and they come to this realization. But they don't have the rules memorized yet. And they don't have the code of conduct memorized yet. And they don't know they're not supposed to wear a hat in the sanctuary. And they don't understand the modesty that their mother never taught them. And they don't understand that you don't use certain words, particularly at church. And they don't understand that maybe this isn't a healthy way to to view things. What is our role then? Do we worry more about remaining ceremonially clean? Or do we worry more about showing mercy? About trying to heal the wounds? Because we're all wounded and we're all broken, but in different ways. And some people's wounds are really gushing and gross. And that's the reality. Some people's wounds are really obvious. But in this, when I read it, I just wonder, are we worried more about remaining ceremonially clean? So that we can do our good Christian duty without worrying about it. We don't have to risk the fact that this could all go horribly. Because I'll tell you something, being someone who's spent a lot of time around drug addicts, things can go really bad at any time. But here's the great part is things can go really, really good. And what is our call when someone is wounded and broken and laying on the side of the road or staggering through our doors? Or passed out outside Ashley's, which honestly, Ashley's is a pretty respectable place. I don't think they'd let them get that far, but that's not the point. What do we do? 
Do we step around? I don't want to get any of that filth on me. I won't be able to church right. What if someone sees me? What if someone sees me talking to this person? This filthy, horrible, horrible person who does these filthy, horrible, horrible things. What if someone sees me? They're going to think less of me. Good. If it offends them, they probably need to be offended. There's a very, very small window of times in life when we get to be righteously offensive. It's neat. It's uncomfortable and it's awkward, but we all like to offend each other or we'd stop doing it. Isn't that true? If we didn't enjoy offending each other, we'd have stopped doing it eons ago. There are these moments where you get to be right. You get to be right before God and tick people off at the same time. It's glorious. It is glorious. It feeds into this weird thing we can't seem to kill off in ourselves anyway. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. I have a very dear, loving, godly friend, and I mean those words. They're amazing. They love God. They serve God with their whole being to the best of their ability. That same person didn't want to give a pregnant girl a ride to church, to youth group, because she was worried about the message it would send to her daughter. I understand as a parent. I understand. But that still hurts my heart in a huge way. And I know that I've done similar things over the years. I have done similar things. Because they weren't clean enough for me. For me, the filth that I am. Put up boundaries for someone trying to follow Jesus. Does that mean that sin doesn't exist? Of course not. Does that mean that there is not a level of holiness that God requires from his followers? Of course God requires holiness. He tells us he does. What does God require from his holy people, though? Love and mercy and caring for each other and bearing each other's burdens and carrying our wounded and loving the sinner and loving the foreigner and loving our enemy and loving our neighbor. If you can't think of these people as your neighbor, what did God tell you to do to your enemy? What did God tell you to do to the sojourner? It's the same answer. God told us to love them and to care for them. Isn't that awkward? Do we believe in Scripture? And I guarantee you we do because that's where most of our problems come from. It's also where the solutions lie, but it's where a lot of our problems come from is that we believe Scripture, but we haven't read all of it yet. God tells us to be holy, and he means it. He absolutely means it. But God says a lot of things about mercy and forgiveness as well. So if we only cling to this holiness, which is important, but we only cling desperately to trying to be sanctified and holy, our mindset becomes very much to heaven with me and to hell with the rest of you. And there's no love in that. 
And there's no mercy in that. And we're not worshiping fully. But if we forget about holiness and all we think about is we need to love and serve and we need to stand up for the downtrodden, we don't worry about our sanctification. We condone all behavior and are we helping anyone? The fullness of scripture requires that somehow we do both. Does your head hurt yet? It should. This is a very difficult task. But it's all in here. This prodigal, not prodigal son, oh my gosh, wrong super, super familiar parable. (coughs) This Samaritan man, who would have been considered filthy by any Jew worth his salt. Kosher salt, of course. But he would have been considered now no longer made in the image of God. He would have been considered filth or as close to filth. To some of us, it would be easy to call this parable the good Muslim. He doesn't worship right. We're not even sure he's worshiping the same God. Yet he's the one that shows mercy. And it's for this reason that Jesus told the Pharisees, that the sinners and prostitutes are closer to the kingdom of God than you are. He was talking to good religious people who were doing the right customs and were doing the right things. And did God tell them to do those customs and things? Yes. It's not that they were the vile, evil, hatred-filled people. They're not arch-villains. The Pharisees in the Bible actually aren't arch-villains. They're the good religious folk. But what Jesus is saying is you're not even paying attention to God. But do you know who is? This broken person over here. They are in love with Jesus. They are in love with God the Father. And they want nothing more than to know him. And you think you do. You're not even looking at him. But you think you know you think you know the Father because you do this and this. You don't even care about the Father. You care about how you look. You care about your attendance. You care about this or that. And that's why the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors are closer to the kingdom of God than the Pharisees. And I think if you walked into any American church, maybe any church in the world, and you walked into a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, there will be people at that NA meeting who are closer to Jesus than people that have been warming those pews for 80 years. Because Jesus is all they have, and they want to know him, and they want to love him, and they want to be whole. And there's people that have been sitting in church their entire lives, and I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they don't even think about Jesus until they open their hymnal on Sunday morning. But they're ceremonially clean. Holiness is important. Sanctification is important. The law is important. And mercy is important. And love is important. One of the greatest questions Rob likes to ask me when I go on a tangent. He's still my mentor, Pastor. We talk about a lot of weird stuff. When I go off on a tangent, his favorite grounding question for me is, to what end? What's the point? 
of what you're saying. To what end? If I am in ministry, which I am, but let me tell you a secret. I was in ministry before I became the pastor and I was in ministry before I became an elder. The second I became a Christian, I was in ministry. And so are you. How does what you do fit into your ministry? But a great question to ask yourself is to what end? I'm doing this, but why? I want to show mercy to this group of people, but why? Is it because they're correct or is it because Jesus loves them? Even simple decisions. I'm no longer going to drink. Well, why? To some of you, that's really simple. You were raised to know alcohol is evil and you don't touch it. God bless you. I don't care. That's your conviction. That's wonderful. Others weren't raised with that conviction and they come to it and they're like, you know what? It's kind of made a mess in my life. I'm done. Okay. But a great question to ask is why? Well, because it's made a mess in my life or because it could make a mess in my life. Great, great choices. No problem. Right. But why? Why are we doing it? I want to tithe 10%. Why? Well, Scripture says so. Good answer. That's a great answer. Sunday school answers are always the best, aren't they? I don't want to go too far on a tangent on that. Please forgive me. At ACA this week, I, I was reminded of so many things that I know. And I, I was made aware of so many things that I do that aren't helpful. Even as a pastor, some of the things I do are not particularly helpful. But one of the things our church does incredibly, and I'm going to offer you guys a compliment, and I'm going to try not to make it a Swedish compliment where I tie an insult into it. I just want to compliment you. This church serves better than any other church I have ever been a part of in my entire life. I've been a part of a slew of them. This church serves other people better than any church I have ever been a part of. This church does community better than any church I have ever been a part of. Okay? This church knows scripture better than most churches. We have a foundation that was laid that is incredible. Now, what do we build on top of it? Or do we just keep it to ourselves? We have such a strong foundation, but we are in such a broken world. We're in such a broken world. This weekend, I got to talk, about, got to, talk to people that sponsored a refugee family from Ukraine. The community sponsored a refugee family from Ukraine. Could we do that? Sure. Do we? We might not. We might. I don't know. But why would we do it? To what end? What is the point? I think there's a great point to that, actually. But you can ask that question for good and for bad. What is the point of what we're trying to do? But I would encourage us, and I'm guilty of it too because I'm human. The second you see someone who's difficult for you to want to know, go shake their hand. And I mean it. 
The second you see someone you're not sure you want at church, I want you to double down on your hospitality because there's a reason God put them right in front of you. And honestly, they might mess up. They might never come back. And maybe they aren't there because that person, maybe they're there for you because you needed to know something about the heart of Jesus. Anytime you see someone that you aren't sure fits, see if you can help them fit. That's all I'm asking. Because there's a lot of rooms, a lot of churches. This church didn't have to let me in here. I did not fit particularly well. Let's be honest, I did not fit particularly well. And if you told me I was going to be a Mennonite pastor someday, I'd have laughed so hard I would have dropped my cigarette. And that's the truth. And as someone who would consider themselves to be a pretty devout Mennonite person, if my beautiful wife would have came up to me with advice on whether or not she should be in a relationship with me, I probably would have given her very good advice that He's probably not worth it. He's kind of a mess. And I thank God that she's so strong-willed, she probably wouldn't have listened to me. She's amazing. But I didn't fit here. I didn't earn God's good grace. I didn't earn your good grace. I did not earn my place anywhere. By the grace of God, I get to stand up here and say what I think God wants me to say. And when I see fellow broken people walk in and I see the nicest community I've ever been a part of, mostly welcome them. And I want to say that, mostly welcome them. And I'm not pointing at anyone and I'm not even going to make eye contact. But sometimes we do not welcome what we're scared of. And did Jesus withhold his grace and his mercy? Did he withhold his own son? How dare I ever withhold the grace of Jesus from anyone? And I'm saying that in repentance for myself, but I invite you to examine yourself as well. How dare I withhold the grace of Jesus Christ from anyone? If you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? I promise I don't smoke anymore. I just sound like this. I thought it was relevant. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have done for us that we could never earn. Lord, I pray that you would guide us to be a holy community. A holy community that's becoming more and more sanctified, but that loves and shows mercy that we would hold ourselves to the highest standard, but that that highest standard would include showing love, showing forgiveness, showing mercy. I pray that you would help us not to shoot our wounded, but to carry each other. Father, I thank you for this group of people, for the massive blessing that they are to me, 
I pray that we would all be a blessing to you for your kingdom and for your glory, Lord. I thank you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.